Hi, welcome Bloody Mary. I'm Kristen Lighty, your host. And with us tonight, we have Candice Martellaro. Hello, Candice. Hi. Hey, and you are you are a comedian in LA, right? I am. I am. Uh, I travel in many of the same circles as other guests you've had on. Uh, I think most recently I heard Samantha Hale. Oh, yes, um, yes. Yeah, we're in the same little, there's kind of like a little niche out here of um, comedy horror ladies. I love it. Uh, I want to be part of that friend group. <laughs> I, th- I think you are. Like, I think by default you are. Like, <laughs> Oh, sweet. Hell yeah. And yeah. I know we first met in Alaska, of all places, at the Before You Die Comedy Festival. Yes, which it's so funny. I actually had no idea that festival existed. And my boyfriend submitted to it. And uh, so I was just there to support. I wasn't in the festival. I was just there to support him. And I saw you and I was like, she's so funny. And so I just started like attacking you after every every show being like, that was a good set. Um, well, it was great yeah. to meet you. It's always so cool to meet people that, you know, have the same passions and think I'm funny. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what was your favorite thing that you did in Alaska? Oh, definitely going to the wildlife conservatory. It was um, so cold that day. It was. And actually, we did it. We didn't get up early enough to go with like the festival. I'm letting the listeners know. Uh, the festival arranged like a big outing for all of the comedians that were in the festival to go. We actually overslept and didn't make it to that. And one of our good friends, Alyssa Potit from LA also did the same thing. And so we just did our own like private thing, like just amongst ourselves. And that was much preferred because we could stay in the car for like, we'd drive to a spot, get out, look at the animal, get back in the car and then go to the next one. Cause yeah, that was a, a, a cold I haven't experienced in a long time. <laughs> yeah. I live in Wisconsin and that cold broke me. I was like, <laughs> I feel like Wisconsin is Alaska or uh, yeah, Wisconsin is Alaska light. Cause it humbled wow. me. I was like, it's so much colder here. <laughs> oh, that's interesting because Wisconsin in my mind is like that humid chill you to the bone cold. Yeah. You know, we still get, you know, we can get negative 40s and all that. So maybe I'm a delicate baby now. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. You live in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shout out to Cassandra for putting together such an amazing festival. Yeah, that was great. It was so much fun. And it really, uh, every venue was so cool. Like everything about it was so much fun. It was, I, I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, the way she planned it, it felt like you got to see the real Alaska and not, it didn't feel like we were totally touristy. No, that's a good way to put it. It felt very much like we were just immersed in what um, Anchorage is like, which was fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's so funny. I did a wilderness tour or cruise rather in Seaward, uh, Alaska, and didn't realize it was a three hour drive from Anchorage. Oh, no. Yeah. So my friend was like, we need to leave for the tour, probably like 830. And I was like, he doesn't leave until noon. You're excited. He's like, Kristen, it's, it's a three hour drive. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I didn't plan that well. It's weird when you're not in your own state, even if you do all the research and think you have like the geography of wherever you're going worked out, it still never quite goes the way you expect. <laughs> And to be truthful, I do no research. Uh, my boyfriend is probably listening and laughing at that because he is the planner. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so happy that we met and crossed paths and that you love horror as well. Yeah, it was lovely to meet you. <laughs> Yay. So what what is the first horror movie you remember seeing as a kid? Okay, so there's 
a direct answer to this, which is that I don't remember, but the more broad answer is it depends on what we're defining as horror. Oh. Um, I, I remember seeing the trailer for Nightmare Before Christmas when I was five, and I just got so excited. I don't know why, but I was like, I need to see that. And so my dad was like, okay. So and it ended up coming out when I turned six. I don't know why I remember that specifically, but he took me to see it, and it immediately became my favorite. They actually didn't sell Nightmare Before Christmas toys at that time, which I know feels insane now. It does. Yeah, that's like half of Hot Topic's business, right? (laughs) You know what? It was once I was a teenager, they started making toys. But for a long time, you'd have to go to like Japan to find Nightmare Before Christmas toys. Oh, wow. And uh, Yeah. So my grandma actually sewed me. I think I still have it somewhere, a Sally doll because I wanted one to play with. That's so she so made sweet. one. Yeah, I love that. She, she did a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. But otherwise, if we're not counting that as horror, then I would say it's probably Silence of the Lambs, but not in its entirety. Like it would be on TV and my dad would watch like 15 minute increments of it with me in the room. And then as soon as it started to get like violent or something, he changed the channel. <laughs> um, but I, I still was like hooked. I was like, what is that? I want to see that. That's funny that your dad went with the change the channel. My dad with the went with the hands over the eyes, you know? Well, I was thinking about that growing up. I'm an only child and my parents, um, it was just sort of like, you'll watch what we watch, but they would just fast forward through like any violence or sex. So the first movie that really terrified me wasn't a horror movie. It was The Fugitive. Really? Um, what was what scared you about that? Because even as a little, I think I want to say I was like probably six or seven when I saw it. And I understood like paranormal stuff didn't scare me because I was like, that's make-believe in my little kid head. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I necessarily think that now, but um, uh, as a kid, I was like, that's not real. That's fake. But the idea of like, oh, a man could break into my house and kill me. That's very real. And Yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it was a good instinct. Uh, Yeah. But that scared me. And then otherwise, the other one that I would maybe qualify as seeing a movie in its entirety is maybe the first horror movie that stands out in my memory is my mom one night watched this horrible movie called The Paperboy. It was like a made-for-TV movie. I couldn't even tell you who was in it, but she liked it and then made me watch it with her the next night, and it really scared me. Again, it was a real person killing, like, elderly people. Oh, God! Hello, my child. Come watch this with me. I love it. <laughs> I think she thought, I like, because it was so campy and bad, I think she thought I'd be amused the way she was, but I was really scared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does look pretty silly. It's from 2012. No, that's a, a more recent oh, one. Oh, okay. This one was, I want to say, 95, 96. Oh, I yeah, mean, you'd be like, quite a bit older. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Math's not my strong suit. <laughs> it's okay. Or really, it'd be the other way. I'd be really young. I'd be like mm-hmm. a, a child on your podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't have that. So have you always loved horror? Or when you were a kid, were you a little bit more cautious of it? You know, I think where it really clicked with me, where I ended up really loving it, was I was going through – I feel like every – Thing that I love like any movie or anything I love always comes out of a bad breakup I was going through oh um, and I was in college actually no I just graduated college and I was going through this rough breakup and I was living with my dad and he just made this rule when October came around that year that he was like we're gonna watch a slasher movie every night of the week because there's so many classics you haven't seen and uh, that was the point where I was sort of like horror is my thing like I like this 
Oh, that's cool. That it was kind of like your dad kicking open the door. Like we're doing yeah. this. Exactly. And it's funny because I don't think he remembered, like it wasn't that long ago. This was like 2011, but um, he doesn't remember it as vividly as I do. And it was like this big, like deep impact on it. It was the first time I saw Halloween. It was the first time I saw Friday the 13th. It was the first time I saw The Thing. Like it was just every night he picked like a, just a great movie to watch. And I was like, this is it. And I was also volunteering that same time period for a horror film festival just because I wanted to go into movies and it was the only film festival in Denver. And that also was the other thing where I was like, this is so cool. Like the actual stunt man that was the state puff marshmallow man in Ghostbusters, but was also Freddy Krueger when he's on fire was at this thing and signed a bunch of stuff for me. And uh, that was the time period where I was like, horror is, I want to do this. I like these people. This is good. That's so cool that you like were in this space looking for community and then you found it. Yeah, exactly. And at such a like low period too. And it was just a, a good feeling. Hell yeah. What is uh have you done a lot of the conventions or, or anything like that? You know, it's weird. I moved to LA and I really didn't get into it until I started name drop. Um, I started working for Dana Gould. <laughs> oh, um, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's super into that stuff. And then as like a default, I became friends with a lot of his friends. And so now we have like our crew that we go to all the conventions with. Um, every October, we do all the haunted houses and mazes and stuff. And that's yeah. so fun. You know, I um I completely skipped around in my agenda here. I, I completely forgot to ask you, you know, why don't you tell the people what you do? Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I, I am a writer. I um, To take it back to Dana Gould again, I wrote on his TV show that was on IFC called Stan Against Evil. It was a horror comedy. Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah, I wrote, um, I started out as showrunner's assistant and then um, I got an episode in the third season and it was uh, a parody of The Vampire Diaries and it was a lot oh of fun. Oh my God, that's so yeah. fun. <laughs> I love it. What was your favorite part about writing on that show? Oh, everything. That was like probably one of the best times of my life. Um, it uh, So far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. So far. But um, honestly, Dana gave me way more agency than a writer would typically get over my episode. And so it was just wild that I got, I basically got to decide how it was going to look. I got to decide what wardrobe I wanted the actors to wear. I I got to talk to the art director, Molly Coffey, who's another horror lady who's awesome. I just had like such agency over it and watching what I pictured in my head like come to life. And some of it was pretty elaborate. Like there was this big like vampire prom scene and I had pictured it such a specific way in my head. And then I remember walking into the ballroom where it was all set up. And it was like, this is exactly what I had. I couldn't believe that they did that. Like, it was just a, a really cool feeling. <laughs> oh, that has to be such an amazing feeling. Yeah, it was. I had independently produced things prior to that. But that was the first time where it's like, I put something on the page. I stepped away from it. And then I walked in and it was exactly how it was in my head. Amazing. Yeah. It was a so cool when you feeling. when you write episodes, is that like, uh, do you write it entirely on your own? Or do you collaborate with people on that? Or how does that work? I mean, that's the only time I've written for television so far. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hoping someday I will again. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it followed the typical um, route of writing for a television show, which is where like, so it's like the showrunner breaks the episode. And then as a group with all the other writers, you kind of work together to figure out how it's all going to fit together. And then 
you, the writer, are sent off with the episode to actually like write it, like actually write in the dialogue and all that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I know nothing of uh, writing television shows. I just I do a union organizing. So I'm always like curious, like, oh, how does this work? How do you do it? So you wrote for Stand Against Evil. And um, you also work with Dana Gould on another show, right? Is it a live show? Yeah, it's a web series actually called um, Hanging with Dr. Z. And that's it says <laughs> yes. it's not directly related to horror. It's if Dr. Zayas from Planet of the Apes uh, had his own talk show and he was like a 1970s, very um, gushing, lovely talk show host. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've seen photos of it. How long does it take to get into costume? So he has a makeup artist, Andy Schoenberg, who does the makeup exactly how they did it in the movie. The only difference is he uses a stronger adhesive. Oh, wow. Uh, and that being said, it's a three-hour process. <gasps> yeah. It takes oh, three wow. hours to put the makeup on, and then it takes an hour and a half to take it off. Oh, my gosh. That's dedication. <laughs> it, yeah. And it's it's not cheap either. Every time he does it, it's pretty costly. And because um, he'll also do appearances as Dr. Z. He'll like he just did recently like a Q&A at a screening of Planet of the Apes as Dr. Z with Lou Wagner. That was really cool. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, what's your role in that show? I'm a producer. So myself and Denny Tedesco are like Denny Tedesco is the line producer. And then I'm kind of I pick up anything else that's sort of needed. I my big thing is that I run it's a lot of it is crowdfunded. And I run all the Kickstarter campaigns and such. And so that's been kind of cool because I've gotten to meet like fans of the show. Oh, and they're, nice. Yeah. And they're really nice. Like they're just the coolest, nicest people. And like, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, That's very cool. Especially I, I just, I kind of love that we live in this age where the means of production are more in artists' hands right now. So if you can connect with your audience, like you can really fund anything you want to. Yeah, that's cool. And the other thing I like about it because it's self-produced and it's just Dana and a couple of his friends that just want to do this, but they they're all people that are very well known that have worked in this industry forever. A lot of like iconic comedy actors and different people just want to do it. Like it's not um it's not a thing where it's like, okay, this guy's coming here because it's gonna, you know, it's a quick thirty thousand dollar paycheck or whatever. Um it's they're just coming out and doing it because they want to. And I've met some really nice, fun actors and stuff doing that. Yeah. And I feel like that's how you get really awesome, authentic art is by people wanting to be with one another and not having the lens of capitalism forcing you to do something. <laughs> that's exactly it. We uh, yeah, there's been a couple guests where you can just tell they're having a blast doing it. Yeah. It's been cool to see. Yeah. That's very and, uh, cool. I also appreciate, even though it's self-funded and it's non-signatory and everything, in terms of the writer's strike, they're, uh, they've are they been very careful not to roll anything out. Like everything's on pause with that, even though we just did a crowdfunding until the strike is done. Nice. And I'm sure that fan base totally understands. Completely. Yeah. I love it. I saw the it. other day Snoop Dogg is postponing his tour. I was like, yes, a Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in LA or? No, I'm originally from, I say Boulder, Colorado, because everyone knows Boulder. I'm really mm -hmm. from Westminster, Colorado, uh, um, which is like 20 minutes out of Boulder. But yeah, it, uh, it was suburb of Boulder, Denver, that area of Colorado. I heard the first time I went there, I was like, wow, it's like a Patagonia ad came to life. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, 
I actually did go to school in Boulder and I remember I'd wake up and I'd have like this perfect view of the flat irons out of my window. And I remember thinking like, I'm not taking this for granted. I'm well aware this is special and not everybody gets to have this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was just my own weird. I need to know where everyone grew up for some reason. I never use that knowledge, but I just store it because someday I will use it. <laughs> it's good to know. Wide swath yeah. of people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay, so for us to talk about tonight, Candace has chosen 2022's X, uh, part of the Ty West trilogy featuring the stories of Pearl and Maxine uh, and their friend Wayne, who's coming to make a porno film on Pearl and Howard's land. I've given this a very topsy-turvy uh, description, but essentially Wayne, uh, Maxine, they're coming, they're going to make a porno with RJ, Lorraine, Bobby Lynn, and Jackson thinking they're just renting out this old abandoned barn to make their movie. And then Pearl and Howard have other plans for them. So <laughs> you remember on Bloody Mary, we go full spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie, because it's relatively new, you know, go see it. You can watch it on Hulu with a Showtime add-on, which I did last night. And, <laughs> and now I get to binge Yellow Jackets because we have Showtime. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I know. Yeah, a little two for one. Yeah. So what made you pick X? You know, I actually didn't see, I mean, I know it's came out recently, but I didn't see it until like a few months ago. And it was something like my boyfriend put on and I was like, okay, we'll watch this. And I immediately, like, it just immediately became my favorite, one of my favorite horror movies, like definitely in the top three. I love that it's a, a very good homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre while doing a completely different thing. It's not like... It's not like you're watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre light. It's a completely different movie, but it like pays homage to that era of filmmaking and that movie specifically very well. So I just immediately, the cinematography I fell in love with, and it's a compelling story. It's really not a horror movie until like the last 30 minutes. Yeah. And I, I found that really interesting where I was like, this could almost be just a different movie, but it's still a horror movie. <laughs> Exactly. And I just I can't wait for Maxine to come out because I love how these pieces fit together. Like I saw X and I was like, yeah, it's fun. It's weird. And then I saw Pearl and I was like, oh, my God, I love X so much more now because of yeah. the way they fit together and build on each other. It's funny you say that. I was out with some girlfriends recently and I brought a girlfriend brought up Pearl. She hadn't seen X. She'd only seen Pearl. And she really liked it. And she's not someone that normally likes horror movies at all. And she was like, I actually really liked Pearl, though. And this other friend of mine chimed in. They're like, man, fuck Pearl. I like X. X is where it's at. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, why Why is it an either or like it? We are women. We must compete. <laughs> I, I, I guess it was so funny. I was just like. Well, one complements the other. Like they go together. It's a trilogy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to talk about Pearl a lot, too. So if you haven't seen that one either, you know, go watch them both. But I feel like, you know, Maxine is living this life that Pearl really wanted, but was never accessible to her. And like, she, you know, adult films weren't even a thing. They're barely a thing in the 70s. So, um, you know, I just think it was really interesting for Pearl to see Maxine living this life and, you know, just the incredible anger Pearl felt at not getting to do those things that she may have wanted to. I don't know. It kind of like justified her, her <laughs> justified her murder in. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so curious to see what they do with Maxine. Like, because there's so many different directions it could go. Because also like the fact that Pearl and Maxine are both played by Mia Goth and every iteration of Pearl is played by Mia Goth, including when she's an old woman. It just makes me curious of like what 
what is the deeper theme that's going to come out here? Because Pearl and X hit very well, and it's one of the things I love about it. Sort of the the obsession with youth and the obsession with fame. Mm -hmm. And we have these two women that are essentially the same woman, more or less, who have very different outlooks on it, but are both after the same thing of like, I want to be famous and I want to be beautiful and young. Yes, exactly. Because one thing rewatching that I didn't quite catch the first time around was that uh, Wayne left his wife for Maxine, who to me looks so young. Like I know Mia Goth is like 29, but... Yeah. She does look very, very young, like 18 Yeah, and I, f- I feel like that's very deliberate. And the mm-hmm. fact that, uh, you know, Lorraine, Jenna Ortega, I think really was only like 18 or 19. Yeah, she, w- she would have been 19, I think, because I looked yeah, it up. Yeah. She was 20 because I was like, I feel uncomfortable. Like <laughs> I know it's really fun. Hopefully he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. I'll find out if I get his permission to leave it in. Uh, my boyfriend, every time we watch it, he's like, I feel like a creep for finding Jenna Ortega so hot in this. And I'm like, it's fine. She's <laughs> well, fine. If you notice too, like they don't really do a full sex scene with her because I think they realize the audience would be unnerved because she does look quite young, like a baby. Yeah. And she's supposed to. And, and she, and also like, it's interesting because she wasn't a big star yet when they shot that. Mm-hmm. She was a working actress, but she wasn't the big star she became after Wednesday and Scream and X. Um, but uh, I'm sure they knew on some level the audience is aware that this is a very young actress that's probably under 21. Mm-hmm. And that's also like a whole element that's very uncomfortable about that. But yeah, I I, I remember being really stressed out the first time I watched it when it started getting into the sex scene and being like, oh, oh no, they're not going to do this are they and then it cuts away and I was like oh thank god (laughs) yeah that was the scariest moment of the movie (laughs) oh no (laughs) so I'm curious you know I feel like this movie has so much going on uh what are some of the big themes that jumped out at you um I mean definitely the themes of like being obsessed with youth and fame and like aging and are we okay with aging why are we obsessed with not aging that I found really interesting but the bigger thing that stood out to me in X and it's like a small sub theme is the dynamic between RJ and Lorraine of the fact that she's mm. this very like virginal innocent or she's not a virgin but she's very innocent she doesn't like what they're doing she calls it smut and every time he just keeps asking or he says it once but in my mind he says it every time you know when did you become such a prude Mm -hmm. and then that and I hate that this is in the trailer because it's such a big twist but when she reveals that she wants to do a scene in the movie and then he can't handle it and she throws it back in his face and goes when did you become such a prude like that dynamic I'm like yeah get him like (laughs) Yeah, it was also like, to me, the symbolism of like, you know, this is my passion, my art, and I love it. And I love filming it, but you can't be a part of it. And the fact that you want to be in it and like the content made him uncomfortable as well. Yes. You know, it was so interesting as you know, Lorraine decides she wants to be part of this. And then shortly after RJ and Wayne have a conversation where Wayne tells RJ, you know, none of them are nice girls. Yeah, because RJ, he's so insistent on not wanting Lorraine in it, but he's like a pile of contradictions, which is deliberate, where he's like, we're making, you know, a good, dirty movie, but he doesn't want her to be part of it. And so Hank, or I don't know why I called him Hank, Wayne pulls him outside. He's got a Hank vibe. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wayne pulls him outside and uh, RJ, like in a fit of anger, goes, you don't understand. Lorraine is a nice girl, which is 
insulting and Wayne gets upset and gets in his face and tells him, I don't know how to tell you this, but ain't none of them nice girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it just gets the point across of like, you know, you, it's not um, weirdly enough as misogynistic as Wayne is kind of being in that moment. Um, he's actually kind of getting across the point that like women have their own agency and you don't have any say in that, even if he's not intending that to be the point. Yeah, it, it does feel like uh, a misdirection to get to the ideal spot of understanding that women are complex. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's it's also, it's this weird moment where he's not, but it almost feels like Wayne is sticking up for Lorraine mm-hmm. because the whole movie, uh, he's, RJ has just been kind of beating her down, making her feel bad for the fact that she doesn't want to make a porn film. She doesn't want to work on it. Because to be clear, um, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't care about spoilers, she's been being the crew the whole time. She's been the boom operator and uh, carrying the equipment. And even when she says she wants to do it, she says outright, like, I don't want to just carry the equipment. I want to be in it. Mm-hmm. What I love about that conversation between RJ and Wayne too is not sh- not too long after RJ has his interaction with Pearl in the driveway where he is like thinking, oh, I'm going to help this poor, confused elderly woman. Oh, she's just nice and fragile. And then Pearl like really surprises him and, you know, murders him right in the driveway. I'd, uh, I'd go so far to say she eviscerates him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's one of the most brutal death scenes. Maybe not the most, but it's a it's a rough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely up there. And it also kind of like ties in this uh, sexual nature with Pearl being on top of him and riding him in a certain way. Yeah. No, it's very deliberate where she's, and it, it again ties into the whole youth thing and obsession with wanting to be young because she's very she makes an advance at him and she's very hurt that he's not interested and, mm-hmm. and then she, she kills him um yeah uh, and then you know howard and pearl i know that they are the villains of this movie but also they're kind of sweet in a way yeah like a, the fact that it comes across in pearl and it comes across in this movie is that howard really really loves Pearl and mm-hmm. um it's tough to say if she feels the same way but they're definitely um companions that stick by each other and really care for each other and take care of each other and I, I do appreciate even though it kind of goes against the main theme of the movie I guess but the idea of like just because you're old doesn't mean you don't have sex exactly honestly when I first the first time I saw X I did not like it. I was angry at it. And I was like, old people have sex all the time. They're still, you know, capable of living their own lives. And I really felt like Ty West used age as the horror trope. And I was like, as someone who's aging, I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) It's, you know, I felt that way the first time I watched it. But the more I watch it, the more I actually almost feel the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, Everyone is obsessed with being young and that's like the overall commentary is like Pearl's upset because she's not young and beautiful because that's what's valued. But all of her, like she's still got it in every way, including the bad ways. Um, (laughs) And she still just has, uh, I saw a review say an insatiable sexual appetite. Yes. And you know, when I first saw it, I think it was more like I was taken back by the idea that other people would be horrified by an elderly person having sexual desires. Like, ew, she touched me. And, you know, it's it's really just more about a stranger in your bed touching you than yeah. 
you know, the fact that they're elderly. So I did appreciate Ty West kind of like, you know, making viewers uncomfortable and having to think about these things that we supposedly value. Yeah. It's, I had the same reaction though, initially where I was like, oh, I, this movie has a lot of, um, it definitely makes getting old look bad. And, (laughs) um, and then the more I watch it, the more I'm like, oh no, everyone is obsessed with youth. And what is, what are we saying with that? And that Mm -hmm. was interesting to me. And I remember the other thing I was going to say, with the RJ Lorraine dynamic. I also love every movie, and this is not a dig. I love X. It's my favorite. This is not a bash on it. But I love that like the way to get across a man having an emotional moment is to either have them throw up or have a scene where they cry in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Big feelings happen that way. Yeah, it's like the the one place where they're safe to express some vulnerability and they have it in this movie where RJ breaks down crying in the shower and it makes me laugh every time. I'm like... Uh, You know, I I was trying to do this joke for a while. I was like, I think men like sports so much because it's the one place where they can just have emotions openly. (laughs) Yes, completely. Yeah. Otherwise, it's in the shower in horror movies. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, one of the things that jumped out at me about this movie as well is the idea that sexuality itself is so heavily demonized. You know, at the end, when they are finding the film and the police officers are like, what do you think it is? And they're like, one goddamn fucked up horror picture. But it's like, no, they were just filming a couple sex scenes, not not the end of the world, nothing too terrifying. But I do think, you know, porn since the 70s has just expanded so much that I don't know, I hate to sound like puritanical, but I do feel like it's kind of ruined people's sexual expectations. Oh, I completely agree. And I think that's one of the reasons I love the movie is it is sexy. Like it's a sexy movie, but uh, there's like a nostalgia for, I mean, this is, they're coming out of 19... It takes place in 1979, so they're coming out of the 70s where you would go to a theater to see porn, and it's they're literally trying to capitalize on the home video market, and that's kind of the beginning of, like, <laughs> I don't want to say the downfall of porn because it's never been great, but um, or maybe it has, depending on how you want to see it, but the more that porn became accessible, the more, like, standards of how we have sex changed. Like, yeah. not just, even if you don't watch porn, it, it affects you. I, um. In college, I took a social constructions of sexuality class, and it kind of blew my mind that it was like, no, the way that something is depicted in porn trickles down and it becomes like a social norm of how people have sex, whether you realize it or not, it affects you. Oh, yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, I have some friends who are still out in the dating world, and they will describe meeting men who have been, you know, trained in that way to have performative interactions and just kind of like use and I don't want to say use and abuse women, but it's like it's role play in a non-consensual way almost. Yeah, that's a good way to put And there's even smaller things that like there's certain things that give men pleasure that are not normal to do that, you know, it's because we've been conditioned. A lot of it is by porn to think like, no, men don't like that. Or, you know, you shouldn't do that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the scene that jumps out at me the most and thinking about that is Bobby Lynn was laughing during sex with Jackson and RJ was so excited about it and tried to film it. And Bobby Lynn saw it and like cut it right away and went back to like fake porn noises. And I think, you know, that is so rare to see like laughing and having a good time in sex on, you know. Especially because men hate that. I mean, I guess maybe not all men, but (laughs) 
in my experience, men tend to get very self-conscious if you start, even if you're not laughing, like you're laughing at something that happened or something in the room or like in her case, just having a good time. Mm. No, I really like that moment for the same reason where it's like, it's okay. She's still having a nice time like it. But if she's not doing the, you know, performative moaning that we all expect, it's not perceived the same way. Which then leads perfectly into the moment where um, Jackson is, I keep wanting to say Kid Cuddy. Um, <laughs> Jackson, Jackson is standing looking out the window all proud of himself. And she literally calls it out and was like, oh, don't be proud of your, you didn't do nothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was a very when Harry met Sally scene. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally. And I, I love that. Yeah. 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 That was fun. I also love it's I hate saying I love this because I hate it, but I love it. But the fact that everyone is so unnerved by the fact that Lorraine is so innocent uh, that when Brittany Snow throws the cum rag at her, it oh, it's just like the worst. But I also like kind of love it because it's just like the most uh, degrading, taunting thing that she could do in that moment. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, you're the help. Clean yeah. this up. You know, exactly. How <laughs> do you like star. this? Yeah. I'm the star. And also like. You can't handle any of this. I'm going to put the worst part of it in your face. Like, yeah. In some ways, she felt, you know, kind of like she was there to support the other women, but like she definitely wanted them to know she was the alpha. Yes. It's funny because, yeah, she and Maxine, I, every time I watch it, I can't really tell if they're friends. Like, it, it's been like a thing I've actually paid a lot of attention to, and I can never gauge of like, do they even like each other? Like, it, you know. Yeah, I would definitely say frenemies for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I think there is that dynamic of competing for male attention, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I do love that it had the obligatory gas station scene, of course. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But like so well, like nothing really notable happens there except for, um, I mean, notable in terms of plot points, but like the most important dialogue happens, I think, in the movie at the gas station. But it's not like a big scare happens or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just they stop and get gas and they're talking about how they feel mm-hmm. and what they're going to be doing. <laughs> Again, another good homage to Texas Chainsaw where the gas station is very important. <laughs> yeah. Have you been there that to that gas station in Texas? No. No, yeah, I they- haven't. My friend JT Habersat took me for my birthday one year. It's uh, completely still standing and they do a little like fun throwback to the film. They have like t-shirts you can buy and stuff. It's and they, Oh, on certain days they have a man in a leather face mask with a chainsaw outside and he'll like spin around and uh, <laughs> it's pretty fun. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> if we if we ever go through Texas, my boyfriend and I will have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, the alligator scene, when I saw that in the theater, I was just like on the edge of my seat, like, go, 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 Maxine, go swim. And, uh, you know, I think it really represents the this this quest for fame so well in that, like, you potentially put yourself in danger without even really knowing about it. Like, there are so many people out there that are predators. Yeah. And, you know, you're just swimming after your goal and having a good time and not even realizing the huge alligator behind you. I thought that was really compelling and very, uh, very winky to put in there. You know, what's so funny. I've watched the movie so many times and I'm only just now really thinking about that. I always just was like, okay, that's setting up that there's an alligator here. Um, no, that's a really good point. And it's, again, another really sexy scene. 
But uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I do this thing often when I watch horror movies with my boyfriend, where if something's too tense or I think something's going to get really violent, I hide under the covers and I'm like, tell me, tell me what happens and tell me when it's over. Um, <laughs> and that was one of those where I hid. I was like, no, I can't handle it. If she's going to get eaten by this alligator, I can't handle it. And mm-hmm. I and she doesn't, but well, yeah, you know, the fact that it's this big threat. One thing I always use is my logic in horror movies of like, okay, they're the main character. It's not even halfway through. They probably won't get killed because they've been in too much of the preview. <laughs> That's a fair point. But then I'm like, what if it's Drew Barrymore in Scream where she's on the poster? Ooh. But yeah, or, or you know, Janet Lee in Psycho where it's like, no, this wouldn't happen this early. And You're right. You're right. Logic could be turned completely upside down. And especially X is a movie that's doing things so different from a lot of other horror movies of this time period that I was like, this could do anything. I don't know what to expect. (laughs) Yeah. And I did really love Ty West. I love Ty West doing a throwback, you know, like House of the Devil was so fun. And I feel like this really picks up in that same vein of picking up like the period piece. Yeah. I agree. Honestly, I think my favorite theme in the whole movie is just, you know, um, Harold and or Howard and Pearl unleashing their rage towards these young people, uh, you know, and like taking kind of like taking back their home, even though, you know, they agreed to have these people here. But I think, you know, them having agency and independence, you know, it just put a really fun twist on a, a movie that could have gone very differently. Yeah. And off of that, one thing I think is really, really interesting is it's set up through the whole movie where you think Pearl is jealous. And I mean, she is jealous, but like Howard's constantly having to like clean up her mess. And then suddenly there's this twist when he's out with um, Jackson, where it's clear he's just as jealous as her. He doesn't like that there's these young men flaunting themselves around. He's just as threatened as she is. And then he, you know, kills Jackson in the least upsetting death of the movie yeah because <laughs> it's not violent <laughs> but uh but yeah I, I I found that very interesting of like oh no they're the same also settle something for me because it's not overtly obvious and okay. my boyfriend and I argue about this when they capture Lorraine or when Howard captures Lorraine and locks her in the basement they're doing that to have sex with her right am I crazy <laughs> You know, I don't know what they're going to do with her because there's the man handcuffed downstairs. Oh, you know what? Maybe I I think you're right. I think maybe Howard confused Pearl. I'm confused. um... Maxine with Pearl. Uh, Maxine with Lorraine. Yes. I think Howard confused Maxine with Lorraine. And maybe perhaps they were. I mean, I think it makes sense. It's <laughs> it's unnerving, but yeah, I think I you're think right. <laughs> it's so funny because that was my first read on it. And my boyfriend was like, no, 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 they're not doing that. And I think because it's so horrifying, you don't even want to think about it. He's, so like, he's like, no, 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 they're going to knit her a sweater. And <laughs> Yeah, I think he thought like they're going to kill her, but like they're not going to have they're sex. They're not going to get it. weird about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to do anything like gross. But the other thing where I, I like made a point of like digging in about this and he was like, fine, you're right. But there's also a point where they they have sex out Howard and Lorraine, or uh, not Lorraine, Howard and uh, that'd be very upsetting. Um, Howard, <laughs> Howard and Pearl have sex. And it's the scene where Maxine is hiding under the bed. And it's this crazy, honestly, like, again, if you're not being ageist, like really sexy sex that they're Mm -hmm. having. And they walk up to the house and it's the part where he shoots Lorraine. And it's, you know, the shocking 
moment where she's just taken out. But if you listen to their dialogue after he does that, he goes, ah, you know, damn it, I told her to stay in the cellar. And Pearl says, it's okay. After what we did, we don't need her anymore. You're right. <laughs> so oh. I'm like, they were keeping her to do so Pearl could get out whatever sexual needs she had with this young person. Like that's, and that's, I assume, what they did to the guy hanging in the basement too. Oh, I think you're right. You, you've won okay. me over. <laughs> okay. As long as I don't feel insane. So I was like, am I like gross for coming up with this? But I could swear this is what they're doing. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. So then, you know, we kind of end on this confrontation between Pearl and Maxine, you know, and it was touched on earlier when they first meet talking about how Pearl was like, I used to be like you. I was young. I was beautiful. I was a dancer. I feel like the power dynamic drastically shifts, you know, obviously once Pearl fires the gun and hurts herself and is you know, kind of pleading for help, but Maxine just decides to like squash her. She squashes her. And this is what makes me so curious what's going to happen in Maxine since Pearl and Maxine are mirrors of each other. Mm -hmm. And everything in that movie is deliberate. And there's a reason when at the beginning of the movie, when they're driving into town, there's that scene where they drive over the dead cow and Maxine makes a point of going, oh, I hate blood and guts. And she can't even look at it. Mm -hmm. And then the scene where Pearl is pleading. Oh, and we also left out that earlier there's a scene where Pearl kind of makes like a weird advance at Maxine and touches her. And she's like, what are you doing? And she says, it'll be our secret. Yeah. And so then there's the scene where she just squashes Pearl. Maxine just backs the car over her and squashes her. And the way it's shot, everything is exactly the way it looks when they drive over the dead cow. Only this time it's Maxine doing it. So she's gotten over the, I hate blood and guts. Now she's the person causing the blood and guts. And as she does it, she says, it'll be our secret. So it's like her character arc has gone full circle. She's now completely different from when she started. Oh, that makes me think in Maxine, she's going to be a villain. That's my guess. I mean, I'm assuming that's where that's heading because it's or or maybe they'll throw us and it's a different thing. But at the very least, I assume there's gonna be some kind of struggle with that where it's like you are just a this pattern just repeats itself, even though you found the success that you wanted. Yeah. And the fame. You're still Pearl. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it was funny watching Pearl and just thinking about, you know, in comedy, we're surrounded by so many people that are on that quest for fame and how terrifying yeah. that in itself can be. And like, personally, I've just I really love doing comedy as a creative outlet, but I couldn't imagine wanting to be famous. Like, I get weird if someone recognizes me at a grocery store. I'm like, <laughs> let's not talk about it. Shut up. Let's not talk about it. That's so funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm the same way where I'm like, I just want to write and make a decent living doing it. And I like doing comedy as a way to be a better writer. But yeah, that there's a lot of people where that's their goal is to be famous. And it seems incredibly stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this age, like, oh my God, I'm over strangers talking to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Agreed. If I like you, I will send you a Zoom link and we can talk that way. <laughs> yes. No, I agree. And it's interesting to see because like with Dana and um, he would always describe George Carlin as being very good at this of making that whole interaction about the person talking to you like it's their moment. 
Oh. Which Carlin was doing is like a gracious thing, but I think it can also be like a defense mechanism. Yeah. You want to get those details. So, you know, like <laughs> where that to send the restraining order. <laughs> that and you're not talking about yourself. You're not giving them any information about you. Like, it, Oh, yeah. that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is one thing I laugh about. I'm like, well, if someone did want to stalk us, you know, we put all our dates where we're going to be on our website. So. I worry about that. I worry about that all the time where I'm like, oh God, if, if someone that hated me wanted to like kill me, they could find me. Yeah. Yeah. Every night of the week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're having a fun time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, were there any other themes that jumped out at you in X? Oh, actually, one thing I would like to talk about is the soundtrack. I think oh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the soundtrack is very specific, very deliberate, and it's great. Like one of my favorite moments in the movie is after they shoot Maxine's big scene and uh, she's walking around the cabin all satisfied with herself and it's playing Act Naturally. Um, I forget who is doing that version of it, but it's it's just perfect, like the whole timing of it. And the, the scene with um, Bobby Lynn singing uh, the Fleetwood Mac song. Why am I drawing a blank on what it is? Oh, yeah. Landslide. Landslide. Yes. Which is so perfect in so many ways. And What is that lyric? It hit me particularly. It was like, time gets older, I get bolder or something. No, like uh, time gets older, children get older, I'm getting older too. Oh, I thought there was a line about getting bolder. And I was like, yes, Howard and oh. Pearl are definitely bolder. Maybe but- it. Maybe I've just misheard it this whole time including the actual Fleetwood Mac version of the song. Yeah, I'm sure one of the lovely people that listen will tweet and tell me the right lyrics because I'm too lazy to Google it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I loved all the like classic rock throwbacks too. It felt very like a dad inspired soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But like, I loved it so much. I made my own like X playlist that I play when I'm driving around like it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So what were your favorite parts of X? Uh, definitely that moment with Maxine when she's just walking in all satisfied with herself. The, the whole thing. I just loved it. And then the big moment with uh, Jenna Ortega where she says, I want to do a scene. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And just that like, you know, the, you could almost hear like a record scratch. There's not actually a record scratch, but it's that moment. And the way everybody in the room who had been intimidating her up until that point look from her over to RJ and they all look apprehensive and kind of fearful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was such a fun like turnaround and like the tension of it. It was very fun to watch. Yeah. I'd say my favorite part is when it's revealed that Howard is not as, uh, you know, innocent as he seems and he's actually locked Lorraine in the basement. And that was like, cause he was like, please, please help. She'll fall and break her hip. And she's just pleading with Lorraine and then, uh-uh, gotcha. You know, exactly. Uh, and then my favorite death was Wayne with the pitchfork through the eye. That was so like, ah, <laughs> Yeah, that was one where I hid under the covers. I actually took a video of it and it's on my Instagram. And you can hear the movie in the background where I'm going, is it over? Is it over yet? And uh, Drew's describing what's happening. And he's like, she just got him in the eye. (laughs) Oh, I also love that the film they were making was Farmer's Daughter, which is such a like, you know, cliche. Cliche for a reason though, right? So perfect. And just the Farmer's Daughter, take one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very fun. Yeah. So yeah, any uh, any final thoughts on your summation of X? I'm just excited to see what's going to happen in Maxine and where this Thank is you. building. Yeah. 
And it's, uh, I don't know, X is to me like a perfect horror movie. I have no notes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be an amazing trilogy. We'll have to have you back on to talk about Maxine and put it all together. <laughs> yeah, I'll gladly do that. <laughs> yeah. So where can people find out more about you and what you're working on? They they can find me on my Instagram at Candice underscore Martellero underscore. That's the longest Instagram handle ever. But um, but uh, there and I um yeah right now the only thing I've been working on up until the strike was hanging with Doctor Z and I had shot a short film that should come out someday and that's about it. I would say uh, the closest thing I have to plug is come out to Horror Nerd if you're in LA. Samantha Hale show who's a friend of the pod. Um, yes i'm so envious she's doing that uh, american horror story next week yeah that'll be a good one but i'd say um i'm i'm on that show quite a bit so come out to that anytime (laughs) so fun so fun you gotta come to la and do it it'll be fun (laughs) you know i do you know diane gallegos i think so yeah okay she was telling me she's like you gotta come out to la it'll be fun i'm like oh i don't know i'm too fat and pale for la but we'll see (laughs) no 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 and there's so many there's multiple shows at the improv that would put you up oh sweet well (laughs) hey maybe i will and you gotta come to green bay (laughs) i i uh, actually my um my family every year goes to door county oh Um, no way well you do go through green bay (laughs) yeah hit me up we can grab a coffee yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and if you listeners are ever coming through Green Bay, hit me up too. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but don't talk to you. Yeah, I will send you a Zoom link and we can have coffee over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't approach you in public like a weirdo. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I'm not getting famous. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I've been Kristen Lighty and this has been Candice Martellaro and we've been discussing X and that's been Bloody Mary. Have a great night. Creepy.